been uh, praying over things in your own life, but also for others this morning. And uh, we believe that the Word of God is still alive and active today. It comes as a sharp two-edged sword. And we believe that it can change people's lives forever. We say that because out of no sense of, uh, of boast, we've been changed. We're just ordinary people on a journey of faith of following Jesus. And uh, we found that His Word changed us and that it keeps changing us. And it changes us for blessing. It changes us to shape us in the likeness of Christ. And we're believing over this next 25, 30 minutes that God's word will just come to us again and touch us in Jesus' name. And um, I want this morning just to read a couple of verses from the Acts of the Apostles as we go uh, into this uh, little early summer series called Strengthened. And I'll explain a little bit of the thinking behind that in a moment or two. But two verses from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, and then I'll take you to a passage in the Old Testament. Acts 13, 22 says these words, uh, that uh, David uh, is referring, the writer Luke of the Acts is referring to history. And then it says, God testified concerning him, David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. And then also in verse 36 of that passage, in the same context, a reflection of the past that spoke into the present, he says, now David served God's purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. Asleep being a word for, for dying. He served God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. <clears throat> and uh, as we were just thinking of uh, at the ministry in Arena Ilkeston this morning, just taking us to the beginning of the uh, main holidays, and then we'll go again. And if you want to come to Mansfield tonight, you're very welcome because we're running something there different to this, but we, we believe appropriate to that context in our Sunday evening campus. Um, we, we entitled it Strengthened. You know that this is a year of strengthening. It's a little play on the word. Um, but in this year of strengthening, strengthening relationships, strengthening prayer, strengthening the principle of fasting, which uh, is a season that we're in at this moment, and uh, people engaging with that and facing the challenge of that and realizing, uh, I don't know about you, how often we're dominated by the natural and the temple rather than the spiritual. And, uh, and if nothing else, it, it reminds us that it's the things we don't see and the things that are internal and the things that are beyond us that are actually the most important. So this whole thought is just that we're halfway through the year almost and it's just to keep that focus of strengthening really sharp in the life of a Rena Church. That prophetic thought that has, has impacted us already this year with the thought of strengthening. It's, if you like, the doing of it, the verb word of strengthening. And the six things that we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks that will be strengthened to through the life of uh, King David. And uh, we understand that uh, King David, like many of the characters of the Old Testament were not perfect. In fact, the candor of the Scriptures is breathtaking in terms of revealing sometimes some of the failures and faults of great men and women of God. And certainly on one of the uh, mornings, we'll seek to address something of that in terms of helping us in navigating some of the challenges of our life. But we want just to uh, look at this book. We could spend 16, 26 weeks on it because... It's, it's a huge life with much to look at. We're going to take six snapshots. Uh, Christian will be talking next week about victory, that whole wonderful 
1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath's story. We'll be talking about strengthened for relationships. We'll be talking about uh, being strengthened to overcome the challenges that will come to our lives. We'll be talking about being strengthened for the destiny that sits over us. And so that's the passion in this year of strengthening that there'll be some doings applied to it from the life of David. And this morning, for the time that we've got, I want us to consider being strengthened for the course. Strengthened for the course. Here's the writer of the New Testament reflecting several hundred years after this man had passed away that God testified of him that I found a man after my own heart who would do everything that I wanted him to do and that this man served God's purpose in his generation. Friends, I can't think of anything else more laudable in our lives than to serve God's purpose in our generation. And across this room today, we've got different generations that have reflected. We've got a generation that's just gone out. Kids' church. We love kids in this church. They are the future of the church. The moment we stop saying that we like kids in the church, guess what? Somehow the tap gets turned off and they stop coming. We know they walk about. We know they wander. We know they scream at inappropriate places. But we love kids in the church. We love kids' church. We love all that they're doing. A generation that's emerging, we're believing they're going to serve their purpose in their generation. We've got young people sat in this congregation this morning. Some of them on a journey of faith. Some of them not necessarily understanding all that I'm going to say over the next 30 minutes. But they're here. They're under the word. Something's happening. We believe something's going to change. We believe they're going to serve God's purpose in their generation. And then there's people that are young married, raising families and, and little babies around the life of the church on, on the journey of parenting. And you, you, all of a sudden you can't remember what it was like not to be without kids. It sort of goes away from you, doesn't it? Really quick. And uh, we believe in that you're going to be an amazing pattern to your generation. And so we go on. There's the boomer generation represented by me. You know, why use computers when pen and paper will do? You know, and uh, we've had to navigate a technological revolution during our lifetime. You see, there was a time in life when people didn't have mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and life still carried on. It's amazing, isn't it? We've had to negotiate all of that. Some of us kicking and screaming, and perhaps a little bit more savvy than some of you give us credit for, because we're on a journey. We've got an older generation in this church that's defined as retired we understand that. We understand that perhaps you can't um, be sort of lifting concrete slabs a week on Saturday morning because that's not your ear anymore. But I tell you, you're not retired in God's purpose. There's still an opportunity for you to serve your generation for the glory of God. And then to finish well, if I can say it, friends, to die well, to know that we've served what God's called us to do in our generation. We can't do any more. And David was such a man. And this morning, I just want to just freshly encourage and empower our hearts not to live for a cause but the cause and it's found in Jesus Christ and I want to suggest this morning as we come to it in a moment there's two prerequisites for living for the cause we often add many to them but there's just two and it's found in a passage of scripture that I'm going to go to in a moment you see around the globe there are many people that are living for causes some of them good some of them worthy some of them of light but others, dark, very dark. And if you've seen your papers in, watch your TV screens, even in recent days, you'll see that people are living for some very, very dark causes. 
But we believe in Arena Church, friends, that, he, that we best live for the cause when everything that we do revolves around Jesus Christ, who holds these worlds together. That we don't just make him the saviour of our lives so that we've been forgiven of our sins, but we make him the Lord of our life, where we give in and utterly surrender to his purposes that sit over us. The writer of the Colossians says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything finds its purpose, or if I can put it this way, its cause in him. Here's a definition of a cause, or several. A cause is a person who acts or exists in such a way that specific things happen as a result of the cause that they're living for. Someone else says that the cause is a reason and a motive for actions. Someone else says that the cause is the idea of a group or a movement, none better than the church of Jesus Christ, that celebrates the cause of Jesus across the world today in a multi-million strong expression of who he is. And then somebody talked about the cause uh, being defined by joining together with a common objective, often described as a common cause. Before we get to David, let me just mention the Apostle Paul for a moment. Boy, here's someone whose life was completely changed and lived for a cause. He said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said later on, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He said in Acts 2.24, one of my favorite verses in the whole of the Bible, I consider my life nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He was sold out for a cause. And great men and ordinary men and women of God have been taken hold of in amazing ways. And you'll notice that they'll always live with a cause. We could go through many today, but I suggest that when you go downstairs afterwards, you read that banner with the statement of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, a son of Nottingham that lived in the east end of, of London and said, we need to do something to reach marginalized, disenfranchised people, people with respect, friends. He was getting saved and the church, the established church, couldn't cope with. That's why the Salvation Army started. But if you go downstairs and read that statement, you'll find a man that lived with a cause. 150 years later, I'm still talking about him. Because he impacted the world. And his organization still does today. This is not just for a few. It's not just for Christian or for me or for the elders of Arena Church. It's not just for the departmental leaders. It's not just for the worship team. It's not just for those that lead the youth. This is for every one of us, friends, to engage with. And the collective cause that sits over Arena Church in this season is this, to go and grow and to love and serve our community. It's as simple as that. To go and grow and to love and serve our community. Friends, we want the church to grow. As I read recently, people that say, we don't want our church to grow, we want it to be small, the writer says, can you please come and determine how many people in your town you don't think ought to come to hear the gospel of Christ? We can be so incredibly selfish with the gospel because we're deciding that we don't want any more to get saved because we want to stay small and know about everybody in the church. But we want to go and grow. We want, friends, hundreds of people to find Jesus Christ. 
And we want to continue to love and serve our community. You know, you think everybody would be happy that we love and serve our community, wouldn't you? But some people are angry that we do it. Some people are bitter that we do it. Some people are resentful that we do it. And why do we do it? Because we can. Because we can. It's the cause of Arena Church. It's not your cause and it's not my cause. It's our cause. And as I said the other week, if you take it to yourself, it'll go away from you. It's the cause that sits under Arena Church. And when we understand that we are called for a cause, it inevitably brings consequences that bring glory to God and praise to his name. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, friends, the Old Testament is not boring and dull. We understand parts of it are difficult to read, and we totally own up to that. But everything that was written in the past, Old Testament and New Testament, was written to teach us so that through the encouragement of those scriptures, it may give us hope in what God is doing. And uh, I want to take you this morning, as we just lean into the life of David, to a passage of Scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, just to save a little bit of time, but I want to read just a few of the verses. Let me just set the scene for you again. Some of you will know it well. But the people of God who had a covenant relationship, a shadow, a type of all that was to take place of God's heart in relationship for people, demanded a king. God said, I'm not sure you're asking for the right thing. But interestingly, God gave it to them. And Saul started so well, but ended so badly. He got arrogant before the Lord and disobedient, and God says he's not going to be king anymore. So he speaks to the prophet Samuel and says to Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse. I want you to go to the little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, I'll quote a carol in the middle of June. That'll be good. And uh, I want you to go to that insignificant place because I'm going to show you there who's going to be the next king of Israel, and I want you to anoint them. And so we pick up the story in verse 5 where Samuel replied uh, that he'd come in peace. He said, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointing stands before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at, the, at things the way people look at them. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then called Sharma to pass by. And the, and, and, uh, but Samuel says, no, the Lord's not chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are all these the sons that you have? Now I'm going to be a little bit naughty because I like to read in the scriptures a little bit. Here's the prophet of God with a word burning in his heart, a directive word. The seven sons have come past. No, no, no. So he was either suave by saying, are these all the sons you have? Or he was desperate. Are these all the sons you've got left? I suggest it was the second (laughs) because he thought he'd heard wrong and if ever you try to step out in prophetic ministry you're going to have to go through that experience and keep pressing through 
Jesse says, no, they're still the youngest. And in the original language, friends, he's not just talking about young in terms of age, but they're still the least. The least. In fact, we don't even think we ought to call him to the beauty parade to stand before you. He's the least. All he's doing is looking after the sheep. Samuel said, well, send him to me. So they sent for David and had him brought in, and he was glowing with health. The old King James Version says they had a ruddy complexion. Love it. Love it. His cheeks were like red apples. He'd been out in the sun. He was just a teenager, fit, energetic. And he walked in. The Lord says, rise and anoint, because this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel went on to Ramah, breathing a big sigh of relief and mopping his brow because the prophetic word had actually worked. Woo! <clears throat> that's how it works, friends. See, that's why some of us won't move in the prophetic. We won't take the gulp. We won't feel what he felt. That's how it works. Just utterly reliant upon the Lord. What an amazing, amazing story. And the reality is, friends, that from this insignificant place, with the least of the sons simply looking after the sheep, in his teenage years, we had someone emerge, and we'll try and plot the course over these weeks, that went from shepherd to king who ruled over several million people for a 40-year period that saw unprecedented blessing and success without parallel in his nation. There were times, friends, when it didn't happen straight away. In fact, on occasions, it seemed to be going further from him rather than to him. Ever been there? You feel as though God wants to bless you, but it seems as though it's going further away from you. You've just got to carry the word of God in your heart. And friends, I want us to encourage today that what sat over David... God wants to sit over us, over Arena Church. It's not just about those that would be defined as being vocationally called. We need those. It's not just about those that uh, maybe have great gift and talent. It's about all of us. The Bible says that God chooses men and women, society overlooks. He chooses nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of somebody's. And if ever we need a church of nobodies to arise in our nation, friends, to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies, this is the day. This is the day. Christian encourages us to give to our, uh, the work of uh, Shindig Spark Ministries in uh, Albania with Rachel Wilson. Someone, friends, that has given herself to the cause, born in Skegness, and uh, went to Mattersea Bible College. And it was just fascinating when we went last time. I had a wonderful day in Toronto just connecting with her and her team. And maybe uh, Rachel, not in any gushing or wrong way, just gave a little bit more away of herself in terms of the journey. A young woman now in her 40s that's processed singleness for the course. And if I had dug a bit deeper, she probably would have liked to have got married and had kids. But it didn't happen. And am I going to sell myself into this nation that God's called me to? Or am I going to settle for something that doesn't allow me to really live for the cause? Amazing. Great ministry. Great van. We contributed to that along with many others. Great. Brilliant. They can download all that in 10 minutes. They've got a fantastic stage. They can just go on to parklands all around the city encouraging kids with regard to the good news 
of Jesus Christ. And so this, this is the passion. And that this morning, right in the middle of the year, the sun's shining. Maybe we're going to that time, that sleepy season of the year. We think, well, we'll just pull back to be impassioned afresh, to be strengthened for the cause. Let me just say, friends, that the cause is not about technology. Thank God for it. And I make a few jokes, but friends, thank God. I get dozens of emails every week. I couldn't do life without it. I wish some of them didn't come, but they keep coming. And sometimes we have a few challenges with technology, and thanks to Neil and the guys this morning for just trying to work that through. It's not about ingenuity, cleverness, and we need that at times. It's not about even creativity. We've got creativity all across Arena Church. It's not about muscularity, because if it was, it would have been Eliab, Abinadab, or Sharma. It wasn't any of those. And it wasn't even about originality, and we seek on occasions to really press into being original. Now, friends, I think sometimes that we flounder in the 21st century church for the cause because we are in danger of relying on 21st century methods. We need friends to give an expression to them, but they will never do it alone. There's two things that will empower us for the cause. Number one, a heart after God. Because God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. Does the outward appearance matter? Yeah, of course it matters, you know. And, uh, and uh, we should uh, appropriately take care of that. But it's not the be-all and end-all. You know, God's taken all of some people, friends, that have been treated appallingly by the world because of their outward appearance. The great Azusa Street of a revival of 1904, 1905, that was the precursor to what we now know as classical Pentecostalism that spread around the world, was led by a man called Pastor Joseph Seymour. Outwardly, he didn't look as though he got much going for him. A black American, and you can imagine the atmosphere and context in those days. And yet God took hold of him and used him in an amazing way. If you read in 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul begins to open up about his life, and some of the vulnerabilities he faces and challenges, you'll see there that some people said, this guy's not got much going for him. In fact, people didn't rate him as a speaker. Wow. And it seems as though his outward appearance at times wasn't particularly brilliant, but God saw his heart. And he may be that there are things set over you that the enemy continually uses. You've got the wrong colored hair, according to you. You've got the wrong colored eyes, according to you. You're a bit heavier than you'd like to be according to you. And sometimes these things are forever pushing you back. And the little accusing voice says, you've no chance. You didn't go to the right school. You've not got the right academic qualifications. You don't even now live on what you would call a trendy street. And again, he comes to you and says, no chance. If you've got a heart after God, anything can happen. Anything can happen. If you've got a heart after God. Because God doesn't look on the outward appearance he looks on the heart. When people push down on Christian and me, Ilkiston, man, they sort of say it like that. Ilkiston, Mansfield. You ever thought about going into a city? Well, maybe. But we've got churches in cities. And the more they say it, the more I say, come on, God. Do something in market towns that only you could get the glory for. Does it always have to be 
a city? Does it always have to be the capital of a nation? Will you do something in this M1 corridor, as Josh was praying earlier, that would be utterly startling because people have a heart after you? What is the heart? Well, of course, we've got this blood-pumping organ around our body that is so important. Roy, last year, as numbers of you know, as we prayed for him, had a heart problem. And it would have been utterly crass for him to ignore that. And uh, we're so pleased, Roy, that you've come through that so well, to the extent he's playing squash again. And um, that is fantastic. Uh, the physical heart is important, but it's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is the seat of one's life. The, the very you. The very you. Uh, someone says a man's heart is what he is. And in the Bible, there are over a thousand references to the heart. Well, when you consider it only says be born again once, you can see the importance that God places upon this. The heart determines, friends, how we live. Proverbs 4.23, because out of the heart come the issues of life. The Bible determines how we speak. Matthew 12.24, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I walk into a context, friends, where people are cursing, swearing, taking Jesus' name in vain, I don't need to be a spiritual genius to know there is a problem internally. There is a problem internally. If people, friends, are always speaking out bitter words, resentful, unforgiveness, there is a problem internally. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says in Matthew 15, 16 to 20, that the heart determines how we act. This heinous crime that took place in Forest Town in Mansfield, here, the national press, just this last week, and the people have been, have been sentenced tomorrow, almost certainly life in imprisonment. Where did it come from? It came from the heart. It came from an avarice, a greed. It came from taking people out so they could have no money. And they've ended up with no money anyway because of the hearts. All the terrible deeds that we see, friends, taking place in the earth come from the heart. Someone says the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. And the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things and who can know it. And it needs redeeming. It needs changing. And we used to sing this song in Sunday school years ago when the Sunday school teacher says, right, let's all bow our heads. And every week we used to sing it. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Not sure about the theology, but, you know, it works. Because it's saying that we want God just to come and invade the very inner being of our hearts. David's for the cause, and our hearts after God. And friends, we could camp here a long time, but I'm just going to bullet point some things from David's life about his heart. Firstly, he had a courageous heart. Christian will allude to this next week. 1 Samuel 17, 32. When everybody else was losing heart, he didn't. And he took out a giant. He had a submissive heart, or a humble heart. Psalm 131, verse 1. Interesting we're just praying this morning, Psalm 35.3, part of the fasting season is to bring humility to our lives. Humility is not you denying yourself, but it's allowing God to be more than you could ever be through yourself. It's making room for him. David had a clean heart or a pure heart, and he was desperate to have it restored. Psalm 51 and verse 
11. He had an undivided heart. Psalm 86, 11 to 12. Great challenge to us in our journey of discipleship. An undivided heart. It determines the decisions of our lives. It determines the priorities. It decides who we put first. If there are things more important in your life than Jesus on the cause, it's an undivided heart. And he wants you to bring you to a place of no division. It's a steadfast heart. Psalm 57 verse 7. Lord, give me a heart that's steadfast. My heart is fixed, eternal God, fixed on thee, and my mortal choices made, Christ for me. It's an old hymn. But it's a steadfast heart. Whatever comes our way, we sung it this morning. Sometimes the sun's on our backs, it's incredible. But sometimes we go through storms. We don't look for them, we don't want them, we don't sign up for them. But they come to us because we live in life. And in the storm, a steadfast heart. We'll allude to that as we go through the story. There was a longing heart, Psalm 19 and verse 8. Just passionate for God. There was a joyful heart, Psalm, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Psalm 19 verse 8, yeah. There was a, an integrous heart, a wholesome heart, Psalm 78 verse 72. And interestingly, 1 Chronicles 29, 1 to 13, there was a heart for the house of God. Because David had a passion uh, to build a house for the Lord. God says, no, no, you're not doing it. Solomon is. But who called the offering? You can read about it in Chronicles 19. Who left the legacy? Who set it up for a win for his son? David, passionate about the house. Friends, I, I come across people that say they are passionate about the cause of Christ, but they are dispassionate about the cause of the church. Let me remind you, they work together. They are in tandem. You cannot be passionate for Christ and then push back on the church because Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. It was part of the cause that he came to the earth for the joy that was set before him. June 2014 in arena, local churches all over this area, all over this nation, God saw them in Jesus Christ and he gave himself for it. A heart after God. I encourage you, friends, to live with a heart after God in priority. Going back to Proverbs 4.23, above all else. I encourage you to live with a heart for God in totality. Mark 12.30, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts. And I encourage you to bring your heart to God with flexibility. Hebrews 3 and 15, do not harden your hearts. I think that's a great challenge to churches, friends, that we continue to stay with a tender heart before the Lord, flexible, open, and receptive of his now purposes for the life of the church. And what was the second thing? Well, not only a heart after God, but briefly a head anointed with oil. That's it. Because when David came in, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. He says, this is it. Little teenage kid. This is the next king. And he'd been ordered to take the horn of oil. We carry it in a bottle now for practical senses. He poured it over his head. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came upon David. Anointing. It's a bit difficult to describe. Some people are for always going on about the anointing. Some people never mention the anointing. But the Bible, friends, speaks in symbols about the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of its symbols is oil. 
being poured over us that speaks of anointing. Here's a definition of anointing. The outflow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's one more to think about. The anointing is God's authorization on a person's life to do the works of the kingdom in the earth. Wow. And on his head. Well, for me, it simply symbolizes that what came upon David, symbolized in the oil, came from above. We know God's everywhere. But a whole sense of God ruling and reigning, the Lord of heaven, pouring out on this young man, not diminishing the life of God, but accentuating it, increasing it. And his heart for David is towards us as well, friends. He never wants you to decrease, but increase. He never wants you to go in, he wants you to enlarge. And anointing, friends, is not defined by weird behavior, exhibitionism, or even just seeking for a blessing. Because anointing is not just for a blessing. It's an empowerment for the cause. And so in this season in Arena Church, let me just remind you, every one of you, wherever you sit in the generational timeline, you are all vitally important to God. Every one of you, however you feel that you failed in the past, Maybe you're just on a journey of seeking to get to God as he seeks after you. Maybe there's issues around your life. Maybe you've been a Christian 30, 40 years and are really moving forward in everything that God's got. Wherever we are, friends, every one of us, God says, will you pitch up again today freshly and be strengthened for the cause? Been a great season this uh, last two weeks, hasn't it? Prayer and fasting. And, uh, yeah, it's just been fascinating, sort of, uh, what you can go without, you know. And um, I was just thinking as I was preparing my notes on Friday morning, yeah, I've been obviously praying for things general. The prayer collective's been really helpful just to keep laying some things before the Lord. And, of course, there's specifics that spill out of that. Been praying for things close up and personal to my life. But I think... Over these last couple of weeks, I've been reminded, challenged, and convicted again that I cannot live self-dependently. I am utterly dependent upon the Lord. This church, friends, with all of its gifts, with all of its abilities, with all of its creativity, with all of its originality, with all of its passion, cannot do that alone. We need hearts and we need oil. As I close, the anointing confirms us for the cause. That's what it happened to Samuel. He was confirmed as one that had a cause that sat over his life. Number two, it supplies our every need. Psalm 23, 5, David speaking again. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Can we believe for overflowing cups around Arena Church in these days? In Jesus' name. And we can apply that in so many ways. And it empowers us to serve. Even the Lord Jesus needed oil. And when he went to the synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and stood before the people that said, well, this is the carpenter's son. He began to quote from the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free, 
he needed oil. Friends, if he needed oil in the power of his earthly ministry, how much more is? Not got time this morning, but oil in the Bible speaks of acting medicinally. It comes on occasions to soothe pain. Maybe this morning that you're in pain physically. Let that anointing come again. Maybe you're in pain internally. Let that oil come and soothe the pain. The oil speaks, friends, about passion and provision. It speaks about us carrying uh, a scent, an odor, something that people recognize. Of course, it speaks about worship unto God and adoration unto him. So let's take these things on board. We're believing that this is going to be an empowering series of messages in a year of strengthening through the life of David, being strengthened. And this morning we're kicking it off by saying this was an amazing man, so ordinary in his background, but taking hold of the Lord. And this morning, let's allow that similar spirit to come to us afresh. Wherever we sit in the journey of life, it all begins in being rooted in knowing him. Being centered around Jesus, who holds the purposes of the world in his hands. And for us, increasingly, to come to the Lord and to run to the cause of Christ. And we do that best when we have a heart after God and a head anointed with oil. Perhaps, friends, the bottom line is, that's all we need. Amen. I want.